This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick and how they define success. I'm Dashran Johan. Lydia Lee was once an up-and-coming litigation lawyer grinding away at a medium-sized law firm. She was great at her job, but one day she decided to give it all up, join an NGO and proceed to live off the grid amongst the locals in rural Sabah. So what prompted Lydia to take this leap? She joins me on the show today to share her story. Welcome to the show, Lydia. How are you? Hi, Dashan. Uh, nice to meet you. I'm good. You're currently attached to World Vision Malaysia. Tell me about the work that you do there. Uh, yeah, just a brief introduction on World Vision mm-hmm. Malaysia. Uh, World Vision Malaysia plays the role of a support office. We fundraise to support community programs in 14 countries, including Malaysia. And these programs are aimed towards improving the well-being of children. So my role there is uh, I lead the teams that implement programs in Malaysia. So we work with children in communities right. directly. Uh, currently, we have uh, worked in Sabah. Mm. We have long-term programs in Sabah uh, with indigenous communities in Keningau and Nabawan districts. So we work closely with 23 villages. We have um, interventions in our programs covering the areas of nutrition, education, child protection, livelihood and water and sanitation right. and hygiene. And in Klang Valley, we have also work, started work with uh, urban poor communities living in uh, low-cost flats. We have a program called Eat Right to Play Right, where we combine nutrition with badminton. How do you define success? When you hear the word success, what does it mean to you? When you say the word success, um, the first impression would be to tie it with what it generally means to mm. most people. Uh, a high-power career, right. um, good image, upstanding image, and probably uh, some with titles like Dato or, right. <laughs> or more. Uh, so for me, that may be the most common definition, but uh, I have a different, mm. a different idea of success. Uh, it's basically achieving what I put my mind to. Right. <laughs> so it could be anything uh, that, that is impactful, anything that is uh, fun, <laughs> mm-hmm. anything intense. Uh, and as I grow older, it's doing something that is, uh, leaves a positive impact on others. Right. How did you arrive at this idea of success? Um, has mm-hmm. this always been your definition of success or has it changed? When I was younger, it was more towards uh, seeing how far I can push myself. Right. Uh, so it, it could be, oh, how much can I eat? Can I break my own past record? <laughs> really? <laughs> so if this, if my family goes for a buffet, right. uh, I'm coming from a poor background, right. I always have this mind that I need to appreciate what mm. they give me. So when uh, my family takes me out for a buffet, I need to maximize. <laughs> <laughs> so as a nine-year-old, I can eat like, okay, this time I can eat eight plates of food. The next round, let me try to reach nine plates. <laughs> so that's the childhood kind right. of measure. Then when I was uh, working, um, I have uh, different measures of success. I was working in a law firm, mm. a mid-sized law firm in KL. There were about 60 lawyers. So we have different specialty. Right. So when I joined the legal profession, uh, in my mind, 
uh, I had a rather short-term <laughs> plan of working there. So it was more of, okay, now I'm going to chamber for nine months. I'm going to try to learn as much as I can. Mm. So when I was chambering, I realised that I prefer litigation compared with corporate law. So, okay, I'm going to get as much work for litigation as I can. I'm going to work. I don't care how long I work. Right. That's, that's my aim. Learning was my aim. Uh, and later on, when there was opportunity to be retained at the firm, there were different departments um, available as well. And I chose the one that could give me the quickest <laughs> quickest way to handle my own trial. Right. Because I wanted to do my own trial by my first year. Right. And if I go to the uh, more specialised divisions, um, it would mean uh, assisting the partners for a number of years before you can go on your own. So for me, I wanted to <laughs> do it faster. Right. Were you a very competitive person growing up? I enjoy competitions. Okay. I would say I enjoy competitions. Right. I used to run for school. Uh, the best feeling that I can feel, I can imagine, is when you're at the starting mark, mm -hmm. when they say, Kagarisan, Sadiamula. <laughs> that is the most right. uh, amazing feeling. So it gives you like this adrenaline rush. Yes. Right. Uh, I think when I was younger, I was looking for the thrill. <laughs> Things that are intense uh, tend to draw me. And I think I was a bit more impulsive when I was younger. Right, right. Yeah, and I would I tend to leap before I look. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> so, did you get attracted to, you know, like because you say you like the intense kind of environments? I'm wondering if you know big law firms. You know what we hear about law firms, mid mid size to big law firms. There's no sleep until Friday night. Sometimes weekends you'll be working. Lawyers are losing their minds because they are so stressed <laughs> up all the time behind you know files and papers and you know you know just going through all of that from morning until night. You hear stories of how you know people are shouting in the law firms because they are so stressed <laughs> and all. Did that kind of hyper sort of um, work environment do did that kind of work environments attract you because of its intensity? Mm, I must say that uh, I had a very good environment okay. in my past firm. Mm -hmm. uh, I met very good colleagues and there's a lot of solidarity ah, uh, in there. If someone needs to stay back, uh, a few of us will rally and just stay back together. So that was a really good working environment. I didn't have the lots of shouting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's great. Yeah. Nobody wants that environment, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> um, how much does your idea of success today tie to your career? It's definitely directly related mm. um, because I want to see, um, I want to make sure that my life is being lived out well, uh, that I leave a positive mark in the world. And um, the work that I do enables me to achieve that goal. Right. And other than that, uh, it also brought about unexpected goals. Um, one of it is seeing uh, my team grow. And that also brought out another interest in me is to how do I uh, get teams to work together? How do I bring up the strengths? And that's something that I discovered that I really enjoy doing. I feel very uh, fulfilled and uh, just very happy when I see they succeed, see them succeeding. Right. What caused this um, you know, change in idea of success? Uh, I guess before, before we get into that, uh, you, you were a litigation lawyer, like you said. Why did you choose to become a lawyer? Uh, it was more of an elimination process okay. <laughs> when I okay. was in law school. I had the idea of becoming a judge. Uh, as a judge, you have the... I had the idea that as a judge, you have the power to ensure justice is done. You can make just decisions. 
uh, you are more powerful than lawyers, and that's a way to uh, to promote justice. Right. So that was my idea. Then when I discovered, when I learned, uh, okay, what you need to do <laughs> to be a judge, you have to lead a very private life. Uh, don't do nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you can't <laughs> let loose. Right. So I thought, okay, maybe I I'm not cut out to be that. Right. And I thought I would just. Um, go into chambering like everyone else mm-hmm. and learn. What caused your the idea of success to change? Mm, I think for for me, it wasn't uh, so much of basing it on the definition of success. Yeah. It was more of a life journey. So as I was practicing law, having all this uh, work, the, initially the learning curve was very steep. Right. So I was very preoccupied, hardly any time to reflect. Mm-hmm. And then later on, when I become more uh, confident in my work, I took time to do take up some legal aid uh, cases right. that doesn't clash with my primary work. Then I also spent some time with refugee children. Right. Then I had a little bit more time to reflect, oh, what are the highlights of my week? What do I feel most fulfilled about? And that coupled with uh, life events, um, some years ago, I, w- I also had plans to get married with, right. uh, with my ex-fiancé and mm-hmm. we mutually call it off. And at that time, I also bought a condo for us to share and for our future life. So because we call it off, I just pass on the condo to him. And it turns out I do not have any more financial commitment. Right. So because of this uh, life event, it forces me to pause and think, where do I want to go next? Now that I'm not tied to the need to make money in order to maintain a certain lifestyle, it's time for me to think uh, what's really important in life. <laughs> right. Uh, I grew up in one of the first low-cost flats in Malaysia. Right. Uh, it's called Rifle Range Flats in Penang. So while growing up there in, uh, in an area of poverty, uh, people are afraid to go there <laughs> because they say that's a ghetto area. Right. So while growing up there, I saw how my mother uh, used her free time to, to implement a children's club mm. for all the neighbourhood children. So everyone come together on Saturdays at a centre for blind, the blind education. Right. On Saturdays, it was free. So my mom just got permission to use it. And we spent time there as kids. And when I turned 13, I started teaching a group of uh, four to six-year-old children. Right. So during my whole uh, secondary school, I've been teaching kids. Um, so that's uh, <laughs> that carried on to me in university. When right. I came to UM, studied law, had my <laughs> had more exposure, uh, know more about justice issues mm-hmm. and poverty issues, got involved with uh, some human rights NGOs. And yeah, so when I got into law and when I had a bit more time, it's quite, I feel that that's quite a natural transition. Right. It wasn't something entirely new. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you took that leap, that career leap um, from law to, to going into NGOs and, and all of that, did you get a lot of support from your from your mom, from your family, extended family, and things like that? And what what were they, what were their views on this? I actually had a plan. Okay. <laughs> so when I was in after form five, you know, you have the option of whether you want to go private college right. or maybe explore um, like different options, mm-hmm. uh, even like foreign universities. So at that time, um, my family was doing a bit better right. financially, and. I thought, in the end, I thought, okay, I better go for public education right. so that I can have the freedom to choose. <laughs> 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 
And I don't feel that I owe them uh, so much for, I don't want them to spend so much on my right. career and have expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was my, <laughs> my plan of action right. at that time. So at that time, I, yeah. I foresee that I could, take, uh, I could take on a low-paying job in future. Right. So what's interesting is that you give it all up not just to work in NGOs, right? You're a lawyer, you're doing well. You didn't just say, okay, let's go and work in an NGO. But you also went and lived off the grid amongst local villages in the outskirts of Sabah. Why? It wasn't my first time in Sabah. Right. Um, I had an experience after Form 5 mm. where we had school holidays. I was attached to my church in Penang where we had a kind of training for after SPM leavers for three months. And at the end of the training, we went to Sabah, those who completed the training. I spent two weeks there in Nabawan uh, among the villages. And that visit uh, left a very deep impression on me. The people, um, the hospitality of the people, I just love the people there. I love fell in love with Sabah, rural Sabah. And also I was struck by the poverty mm-hmm. uh, in Sabah. Coming from Penang with very little awareness on what goes on in, in the outside world, that was, that was quite an eye-opening experience. And while I was there, I made a commitment right. that I will use my life to do something for the people in Sabah. Wow. And that was when I was uh, 17 years old. Wow. And, and later I forgot about that commitment. <laughs> <laughs> and when I joined World Vision, <laughs> the opportunity came up. Mm-hmm. The CEO at that time asked me, oh, we are going to start some local projects in Sabah. Right. Would you be interested to take it up? So my gut feeling and everything just say yes. <laughs> yes, I can answer straight, straight away. <laughs> I think that's fantastic, yeah. right? I want to go back to the moment or the period where you are going to make the transition from law to joining an NGO. You definitely know that you're going to be getting probably less pay than you did in the past. It's not as lucrative as, as of course, law. Why did you decide, I'm going to stop doing law? Firstly, I I think I do not have the love for law okay. like, like most people who are passionate lawyers mm-hmm. uh, have. Uh, it was, in my mind, I didn't have a long-term plan. Uh, and I definitely do not see myself working towards uh, being a partner. Right. Uh, at that time, my aim was just to learn as much as I can and see where's the next direction. Right. So yeah. once you learn, now you are you're saying that, okay, but when, when did it come to the point? Like when did you realise that, okay, now is my time to switch careers? Ah, that goes back to the life events right. uh, that I was right. talking about. Mm-hmm. That was when I could let go of a financial commitment, um, which is the condo, condo payment for yeah. the condo. And the other point was also the de- the department that I was in mm. were hiring more lawyers. So we have enough uh, staff in the team and then the timing was just right. Because right. if I stayed on longer, I probably wouldn't have the courage to leave. <laughs> right. Uh, I was doing a few... Like free tests online okay. just to determine what kind of career. Like personality could be. tests? Personality, right, yeah, and, right. and also motivations. Right, and right. the result that came up was uh, oh, I'm very suited to be a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's epic. <laughs> did, you con- did you consider that? Was, one? That was quite funny, but uh, come to think of it, that occupation appeals to me. Right. Yeah. But then in Malaysia, 
uh, when I surveyed what firefighters do, um, very often they take care of uh, wild animals and remove snakes, right. which I'm very afraid of. Mm-hmm. So that is out, <laughs> out for me. <laughs> so how I arrived at NGOs mm-hmm. was also through the exposure that I had right. uh, from volunteering and the connection, some of the connections that I've made. On the show with me today is Lydia Lee, who focuses on community development at World Vision Malaysia. We'll be right back with more after the break. Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Lydia Lee, who focuses on community development at World Vision Malaysia. So Lydia, you you bring up that financial (laughs) sort of commitments which you didn't have at that point. Did it feel liberating? Oh, that was definitely very liberating. Right. Because I feel like I can start on a fresh slate where I do not need to choose a path which is dependent on uh, my commitments. Right. So would you say that, you know, prior to this, um, that while you were having this condo, while you were on, you know, one trajectory at that point, you were planning to get married and, and all of that, that all of these things sort of, I wouldn't say weighed it weighed down on you necessarily, That, um, but it really played into, you know, okay, should I stick to law? Should I do this? Like, like did it really influence your career choice at that point? Oh, that was definitely a trigger point right. that made me stop to really reflect on life. Because ah. naturally, I'm not a very reflective person, I think. Uh, it takes like major events <laughs> to right. cause me to stop to reflect. So that was a good time for me to think about uh, what I want to do in the future, what I need to do, and uh, maybe some mistakes that I need to learn from, right. and how do I move from there. Right. What What are some of the... You know, when you think back now, um, putting yourself back in the shoes of yourself at that uh, time, that period, you said you began reflecting. What did you learn about yourself? Um, I leap before I look <laughs> too, <laughs> too much. Okay. Yeah, uh, a lot of things that I do, I do it because, oh, it sounds fun. It sounds very thrilling and <laughs> usually I'm the first to do or the first to respond Right. or if someone uh, if my classmates they feel like oh they're afraid to do something then they will ask me to do so I was that uh, sort of person right. so uh, usually like big life events force me to stop <laughs> and right. reflect right okay yeah. now how did you end up in World Vision? After you left law, did, you didn't straight away join uh, World Vision, right? Uh, or was it like that was where you joined immediately after law? That was where I joined. Oh, right, so right, World right. Vision was my second full-time job. Right. Yeah. Firstly, uh, World Vision is a... What attracted to uh, me to World Vision was the focus on children. Yeah, I love children. Even when I was a child, I was the eldest in the family. I took care of my younger sibling and cousin, uh, bring them wherever I go. <laughs> Whenever I have any free time, I include them. Uh, I used to teach young kids. So children uh, is very close to me, something that um, yeah, <laughs> that right. I hold dear. Mm-hmm. And the other aspect about World Vision is the faith aspect of it. Uh, I'm being a Christian myself. I, f- I find that there are values alignment and I like what World Vision does. Right. So World Vision is local, mm-hmm. but it also has uh, global impact. So that's the other 
unique aspect to World Vision. Right. What drives you to keep doing what you're doing today? When I come to World Vision, mm-hmm. uh, I have some relearning to do. Okay. <laughs> Learning that community development and transformation work is a long-term process. Right. It doesn't happen short, uh, short-term. You don't have instant results. And most of the time, you measure uh, growth in a quality, qualitative aspect. Right. So typically, our programs take at least 10 years in a community. So I already know that, okay, don't expect <laughs> overnight success mm-hmm. because we're talking about behavior change, um, different thinking, um, and also taking ownership of your own community. Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing takes time. So for for me, when I joined, um, I adjusted (laughs) Mm -hmm. from short-term gains to looking at things at a more long-term. Right. I find joy (laughs) in what I do. Right. Uh, One thing about uh, working with communities and children, sometimes you do not see instant result, but when you see how uh, transformation happens, for example, from children who used to be so shy coming to children's club, now openly like expressing themselves in front of their parents, you look at them and wow. And uh, mothers, uh, community, mothers in the community, they are a real inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. I see, I met this lady uh, in 2012. She was shy, very soft-spoken, had a Form 5 education, but she has dreams for her community. Right. She wanted a preschool and she shared about her dreams and we journeyed alongside with that village started a community uh, preschool and now she is the principal uh, principal of the preschool. She earned her diploma in early education. She's serving in the children's clubs, helping her community and she's so confident. She knows how to deal with government agencies, wow. how to get approvals. So that that is really, really fulfilling. <laughs> when I think about all these uh, women and the children, yeah, that's a real reason for me to get excited. I think that's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Now, um, you've been doing this for years. Um, were there points um, over the past few years where you felt like this part isn't going to work out anymore um, and or that you made a mistake or that you need to quit and, and perhaps switch back to practicing law or perhaps take on a corporate gig somewhere else? Or have, have, have thoughts like that popped into your mind over the years? I've had several times of thinking about quitting, right. uh, mostly because of... Uh, times when I burn myself out <laughs> mm. from overwork um, or times when I feel discouraged when things don't go as planned. Right. Yeah, definitely there were a lot of down times as well. Uh, but uh, in these times, I hardly ever think about going back for corporate job uh, or going back into practice. I think that hardly crossed my mind. Um, but other thoughts crossed my mind. Like I fantasize about maybe I take one one month off and I become a waitress at Johnny Rocket. <laughs> you know, you can dance. <laughs> so that kind, I right. think it was more of tiredness and discouragement. But right. that could also be overcome because I have, uh, I work in a very good environment. I have good colleagues, uh, very supportive environment. Now that I'm a mother, we have very good policies at work as well. I can continue uh, even though I'm I'm a mother. <laughs> you, you mentioned burnout um, and you know, this is something that perhaps people often on the outside perhaps don't think about necessarily when they think of an NGO, right? They, they think of burnout when they think of big law firms, accounting firms, um, corporate sectors, and, and things like that, right? 
what are some of the challenges you faced working in an NGO in Malaysia? I can think back of my earlier days uh-huh. uh, in Sabah, where I was, uh, I felt the aloneness, uh, being out of connection and being alone mm. on my own. Even though I was with the community, right. there's still a sense of aloneness, yeah. um, and also chasing to meet the timeline, right. because we do have our program timelines, and uh, reporting to our donors. So there's still that crunch mm-hmm. that happens there, and. Uh, Sometimes we can plan out things uh, as well as we can, but without like experience, maybe our plans are not right. so well planned. Yeah. Uh, so in 2013, for example, we were already planning for like workshops with communities spread across the year. And then there was a Sulu crisis in Sabah, general elections, mm-hmm. so that delayed, delayed some of the work. So when work picked up, it had to be done continuously. And I felt responsible because I own, <laughs> I have ownership of it. And I continued working um, for 56 days straight uh, without taking a break. You talk about the challenges and you talk about how, you know, there have been moments um, while, while you were doing, you know, your, your career in NGO uh, that you felt, okay, maybe I should quit and maybe I should go back to corporate or law or something like that because of, of the burnout and the challenges like, like you just talked about. What made you say, you know, no, I, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay <laughs> yeah. here instead. Okay, uh, so continuing from that feeling of tiredness, right. uh, the burnout feeling in Sabah, when I came back, I was sharing with uh, some of, one of my close friends, mm. and her answer uh, to me was, "Oh, just quit now." <laughs> For me, <it's, laughs> then it triggered me to think. That's not an acceptable solution. Right. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not going to quit. I will figure out better ways of working. Mm-hmm. So I need to take a break. After every two weeks, I need to take a break. Right. No one is forcing me to work yeah. like continuously. I'm the one driving myself. So I need to manage that so that I can work and sustain better. Right. So speaking of sustaining <laughs> yourself, right? What does it take? Um, if someone listening, they are like, okay, I, I, I want to be an, you know, work in an NGO one day. What is the reality? What does it take to sustain a career working in an NGO, especially in Malaysia? Mm. I think maybe one of the guiding points is to know your why. Mm. Why are you doing this? If you have the purpose, uh, you have a clear purpose and a clear goal, that can guide. Uh, every other aspects, and you're willing to take on more responsibilities, you're willing to uh, perhaps give up some uh, luxuries in order to meet uh, that purpose in your life. Mm. And of course, the other aspect is also um, finding your fit. Maybe the goal is there, you want to reach it, but you're not cut out (laughs) to do that work. So you find a role that is appropriate for you to meet uh, that goal. Right. Um, You brought up uh, giving up some luxuries. Um, and, and this, I think, uh, could be a question in many parents' mind, for example, if their children say, oh, when I grow up, I want to be an NGO, and they might ask, NGO can make money. Uh. How, do you, how would you answer that question? Um, I think these days, uh, we are able to survive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we won't go hungry, right. I would say, yeah. if you work in an NGO. Um, I think the other reality about working with NGOs, it will be best to choose a modest lifestyle. Yeah, it doesn't jive with uh, what you do, working with the poor, and then at the same time, you're living like a tycoon. Right. (laughs) It just doesn't jive. So when you work in this industry, it should permeate your whole life. Mm. 
because you already have an interaction with the poor, you already know like what the poor is like. Like for me, I feel like it's not fair for me to uh, own so much. I should give more. I should learn to give more. Because it's not only when you have that you give. Uh, what I encounter in Sabah is the poor uh, in their poverty, they are so generous. They host you without asking for anything in return. They feed you and they treat you like, like one of their own. Mm. So that, that is also a lesson for us. Maybe we don't need as much, uh, so much. Yeah, and really, oftentimes yeah. it feels like the people we, who don't have anything are the ones that are most selfless, yes. you know, and they're yeah. willing to give and give and give. Um, I think that's really, really inspiring what you just said. Um, how do you measure growth? Uh, right now, I measure mm-hmm. at several levels. Okay. Uh, at the workplace, mm-hmm. it's in terms of children and communities. Okay. The kind of transformation that we see uh, for the community is seeing them take ownership of what uh, their vision for the children is. So, for example, we have uh, children's clubs in mm-hmm. the community, initially run by World Vision staff. Right. Now, we see parents taking it up and they are the ones running right. the clubs for the children. We see water committee uh, villagers taking ownership of the water systems, maintaining it mm-hmm. for the good of their children. So that is one uh, level of growth. Mm-hmm. Another one is to see uh, my team, how they grow, how they take on leadership roles. Right. So my aim is to have at least a like, strong second liner and if possible, work myself out, out of a job. That would right. be... Um, that would be a good <laughs> measure of growth for me. And personally, for myself, uh, it's more on focusing on character. Right. Uh, patience, kindness, being kind, uh, having practicing self-control, and my responsibilities as a mother, making sure that uh, my, both my children have their needs met and they, are, they stay close with me. They're able to express their concerns to me. Yeah. If there are people listening who are thinking that they want to do. I want to be Lydia one day. What words of wisdom would you give young people who are listening? Uh, realistically, I think young people have more to teach me. <laughs> I learn so much from young people these right. days. Mm-hmm. Um, I may just share a few practical suggestions. Yeah. Um, if young people are interested to explore the world of NGO, consider volunteering, uh, gaining exposure, and one platform you can always volunteer with is World Vision Malaysia. <laughs> uh, no one is exactly the same as uh, me, for example. Everyone has their own strengths and your skills. And World Vision has such a range of uh, different activities, different exposure for you to get involved in. And if you are uh, at the stage of uh, perhaps university looking for internships, you can also explore um, collaborating with World Vision. We have an intern right now with us and right. she's just enjoying her job with the community. And the third area is um, if you're looking for a career, uh, we currently have at least 15 vacancies <laughs> in World Vision. <laughs> so check it out. Very, uh, various skills are needed. So there are many ways to achieve impact, uh, not just going to the rural area mm-hmm. and working directly. And before we wrap this conversation up, Lydia, Tell us, what does it feel like uh, waking up every day knowing that you're doing something that you love? I'm uh, at peace and I feel very thankful. Uh, Every day I feel thankful that I have this opportunity to uh, work at this job, the opportunity to work with my colleagues and also the 
the little impact that, that I'm leaving uh, behind. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. That was Lydia Lee, who focuses on community development at World Vision Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.